So we're here, it's the end of the week, and I'll tell you, we got a lot to cram into a very short period of time, a time that has been foreshortened a little bit by the fact that I blew out a tire on my car, but blowing out a tire on my car is not nearly as bad as having to listen to all of these university protesters. We'll get to all of them, plus Ben Carson's reaction. I'm Ben Shapiro, this is The Ben Shapiro Show. I tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. Alrighty, so the latest from University of Missouri is that basically, Martin Luther King is dead and Malcolm X is alive. I mean, that's, that's essentially the message that's coming out of University of Missouri today, where the students are now self-segregating. Seriously, the black students have decided they want to create their own safe space. I'll talk about that in just a minute. First of all, I think it's important to mention, as I mentioned yesterday, President Obama has pushed forward this notion that any subjective feeling you have about anything, if you are a member of a victim group, if you're a member of, if you're a black person or if you're a Hispanic person or a, or a transgender, black, gay, bisexual person, if you're any of these things or any combination of the above, if you're a non-cis-normative human, then you are by nature a victim. And anything that you feel, it's now incumbent upon all of us to validate. We have to validate your feelings. It's just, that's what we do. We validate your feelings. And President Obama says that your feelings, they spring from a place of truth. Doesn't matter if what you say is totally not true. What you say is springing from a place of truth. This is why you hear the phrase bandied about so often by folks on the left. It's my truth. Now, there's no such thing as my truth. I mean, try this in math class when you're in third grade. It's my truth, right? Two, time, two plus two is nine. That's, that's just my truth. It's a stupid phrase. There's no such thing as my truth. There's, just tr there, there's only true and false. There is no such thing as my truth. But Jonathan Butler, who we, we talked about yesterday, he was the hunger striker at University of Missouri. His truth, his truth, is that he was hit by the, by the president of the university's car. This was his truth. This is what drove him to, to take action, to start hunger striking against vast swaths of systemic racism over at the University of Missouri. Well, now we have this on tape. And it turns out that, as usual, Jonathan Butler's personal truth is not in any way related to something that we call the truth. These two things have never met. They will never get along, even if they do meet. So here is Jonathan Butler's truth meeting the actual truth, a.k.a. video evidence. What you're about to see is the, the, the president of the university's car, and it's surrounded by some students. It'll start to back away, and you'll see Jonathan Butler run at the car. <laughs> that's a, that's a, you're, this is what you're going to see. And, he, and then claim that the car hit him. Right? Just like yesterday, I talked about the, the, the simile of you have a younger sibling, and you take your sibling's hand, and you hit them in the face with it and say, why are you hitting yourself? This is now the tactic on university campuses where you jump out in the middle of the freeway, run at a car, and then claim that the car hit you through no fault of your own. Here is what happened at University of Missouri, and I'll describe for folks who can't see because you're not subscribing, and this is why you should subscribe, because you're missing great tape, let me tell you. Testers moving in towards the car. You can see here they're, they've locked arms, they're moving in backwards towards the car. And the car is not advancing on them. Now what happens is, if you watch this part, the car actually backs away from them. Take a look here. You can see the car is moving away from them. It's moving in the distance away from them, and they don't know what to do about it. They're still locking arms and a little confused. And then here comes the pivotal moment here. Watch this. That right there is Jonathan Butler. Did you see that? That's Jonathan Butler running up to the car. And you can see he's pretty clear here. He's the, he's the bald guy in the glasses being blocked by the white guy. Here it is again in slow motion. Watch. He runs right up to the car. 
<laughs> he literally walks into the car. If this were an insurance scheme, he would be arrested. Yeah, that's exactly but right. Instead, all exact... he did was he got two administrators. To I, I don't know who the Jonathan I don't know who the narrator is right up on this tape is, but this is exactly right. I mean, he's describing what was. So I don't have to do it, but you see Jonathan Butler walk up to a car that is moving no more than one quarter of a mile an hour. I mean, the car's barely moving. And he runs up to the car, and then he says that the president's car bumped him, and then he demanded an apology from the president, and because the president is a huge pansy, the president then gave him an apology for this, right? He gave, gave him an apology for this, for this guy jumping on his car, basically. And this is, this is his truth, right? It's his truth. Okay, well, once these, your own version of the truth has been created, there's only one problem, which is that people may disagree with your version of the truth. Your version of the truth, of course, being false. They may disagree and they may say that you're lying and that everything that you're saying is bull. But that just means that they are now microaggressing you because their truth, truth is white privilege, right? So that whatever they say is coming through the lens of white privilege. This is the deconstructionist nonsense they teach you at college. Every element of truth cannot be truth. It's just your subjective truth, right? So videotape evidence is not truth. It's my subjective truth. Because if I were a black person watching this, it would look like the car ran him over and then backed up and ran him over again. Right? That's exactly what it would look like if I were a black guy. <laughs> it's just insane, folks. So here's what they are doing now. So when, once there is any disagreement with your version of truth, once that disagreement takes place, then the laws that allow the disagreement to take place have to be overturned. So here is the Missouri student vice president on national television explaining that the First Amendment should not allow anyone to create a hostile atmosphere. This is, this is on national TV, and this is a person in college that is being paid for by taxpayer dollars. And this is the, the childish idiocy that is being churned out by our university system. I personally am tired of hearing that First Amendment rights protect students when they're creating a hostile and unsafe learning environment for myself and for other students here. I think that it's important for us to create that distinction and create a, a space where we can all learn from one another and start to create a place of healing rather than a place where uh, we're uh, experiencing a lot of hate like we have in the past. Okay, this is unbelievable, right? I mean, here, the First Amendment should not allow hostile things, right? We have to create a safe space. A safe space, right? Like, you know, like Hitler created a safe space from the Jews, because those crazy Jews with their crazy Judaism, we needed a safe space from the Jews. Or like Stalin created a safe space from his enemies. Or like Vladimir Putin is creating a safe space for Russians in, in Ukraine. It's amazing the safe spaces that you can create when the First Amendment doesn't apply to you. Uh, hostile environments have to be ended. We need a safe space. So how did they go about creating this safe space? How did the safe space get created? Well, here's a picture from University of Missouri. This is their, their safe space, their healing space. And honest to God, this, this stuff should have gone out with nap time in preschool, safe spaces and healing spaces. Okay, this is their, their safe space. And folks who can't see, there's a group of only black students, right? There are no white people anywhere in this photo. There's one white guy in the back who just feels really odd. Um, but aside from him, everybody else there is black. And the reason that everybody there is black is, despite the fact that there are a bunch of white leftists who support this agenda, is because these students said they wanted a blacks-only space, a blacks-only space for their segregated healing space. They said it was, it was a violation, it was, it was white privilege. If white people, their white allies, wanted to be with them in the healing space, the healing space had to ban all the white people. All the white people had to go away from the healing space, to which the KKK said, yes, perfect. Right? The KKK has been trying to get this thing done for 150 years, and it took a bunch of radical black students to make segregation come back 
Apparently, you know, President Obama has a rug in the Oval Office that's, uh, that's from Martin Luther King, and it says, it's from MLK, and it says, the arc of history tri uh, trends toward justice or something. So it's, the, the arc of history now trends toward resegregation by radical black folks on university campuses, by panty-waist fascists. And this is, this is what's so amazing about all this. They resegregated themselves, right? So the, the original accusation was that the campus was too racist against black people. So their solution is to be completely racist against white people and also to let the white people remove themselves from the black people. This was their big solution, which is just a genius move. And this is indicative of a broader culture that is taking place. Yesterday on the Ben Shapiro Show, we discussed the meaning of white privilege. Well, there's another term that needs to be discussed, and that is microaggressions. Okay, so right now, what's happening at Mizzou, what's happening at University of Missouri, is happening all across America. It's happening at Smith College in New York. It's happening over at Yale in, in, in New Haven, Connecticut. It's happening at Claremont McKenna College over in California, where a junior girl just stepped down from her student government position because on Halloween, there was a picture of her with two of her friends, and two of her friends are wearing sombreros and mustaches and ponchos because you can't dress up as anything even mildly stereotypical at all for Halloween, because Halloween, of course, is not a safe space. And so we have to make safe spaces. You know, South Park did a phenomenal song called Safe Space. I don't know if any of you saw this. Have you seen the Safe, safe Space song from, from, we will have to grab it because it's very funny. Uh, it's, it's, it's all these kids singing about my safe space and then reality tries to intrude on their safe space so they banish him. Uh, and then that's, that's what this is. So, that one of the so they're defending against two things with their safe space. They have to keep safe from two things, right? They have to keep safe from white privilege, which we discussed yesterday. White privilege just means shut up, whitey, right? That's what white privilege means. Unless you scourge yourself, unless you, uh, unless you engage in utter abasement of yourself, un unless you are willing to do, right, basically what Indiana Jones does in The Last Crusade, right? Only the penitent man shall pass. That Then if you're penitent enough, then, then you can pass for somebody who doesn't have white privilege, even if you're white. But if you're not penitent, if you deny white privilege exists, this is just another example of your evil white privilege. The other term they like to use is microaggressions. So there is a Smith College junior, her name is Raven Fowles Witten, and she's a clinical idiot. And she, and she complained about what she's protesting, why? Because she's complaining about microaggressions in classrooms. Micro, what were the microaggressions? She didn't have enough black teachers. So white skin microaggressed her. Now, I think that it's important to define microaggressions. So. Mike, one of the, the funny things about both microaggressions and, and white privilege, all this sort of stuff, they sound like kind of cultic forces. Right? They sound like Gnostic forces in the universe. Like they're just kind of wandering around out there and they, they sort of infect you from time to time. It's sort of like Obi-Wan Kenobi's description of the force, except in reverse, right? It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us. It binds us, except it, it surrounds us. It tears us apart. It destroys the galaxy, right? This is what, this is what these things do. What exactly are microaggressions? So social psychologist Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff, who's the head of, of an organization called FIRE, they wrote in The Atlantic, they define microaggressions like this. And this is as good a definition of microaggressions as you are likely to hear. And folks, the reason this is important, I'll explain in a second. So microaggressions are, quote, small actions or word choices that seem on their face to have no malicious intent, but that are thought of as a kind of violence nonetheless. Right, so they have no malicious intent. I didn't mean to offend you. There's nothing I say that really is offensive, but if you took offense, if you took offense, I have microaggressed you, right? So every time my wife turns me down for sex, it's a microaggression because I am offended even though she didn't mean to offend me, right? It's a microaggression, microaggressions everywhere. Aaron Lewis of Yale, 
who was studying cognitive science until he decided, seriously, he said that he, want, he stopped studying cognitive science so that he could do racial protest, which is obviously a much more lucrative field given the number of people who are going into it. He said, I don't think it matters what my own personal experiences are with racism on campus. What matters is that we all need to have empathy for the experiences that people of color have, even if we don't have those experiences for ourselves. It is really hard to believe because we don't want to believe we're a post-racial society, but it's just not true. And how do we know it's not a post-racial society? Well, because some people feel that it's not a post-racial society. Right? Their feelings get hurt. And because their feelings get hurt, it's, it's very important that we, we pay attention because they have been microaggressed. Now, I want to point something out about the language of microaggression. This is why it's important. Microaggression is not micro-offensive statements, right? It's not called a micro-insult, which it could theoretically be called, right? It's a microaggression. Aggression is typically met with aggression, right? When I, when, I, when I commit an act of aggression against you, you hit me, right? When I do something that is aggressive, then I am punished for it. There's something that happens to me, right? It has to ha I, I did something, and therefore there's something that comes back at me. That's what justice is, right? The, 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 the notion, if, if man sheds blood by... by by man shall his blood be shed, right, from, from the Bible. That basic notion is true in most of human relations. You don't get to hit me unless I hit you. If I hit you first, you get to hit me back. What microaggressions does is it takes words from the realm of sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, to words do hurt me, and therefore I can use sticks and stones to break your bones. And this is where this goes. So yesterday at University of Missouri, the police released a statement. We talked about it. And they called for people to call the cops if their feelings were hurt. The men with guns come to take you away if your feelings are hurt. The administration cracks down on you if your feelings are hurt. Like people are making a big deal out of the fact that in 2010, some drunk students dumped a bunch of cotton balls on a lawn in front of the black student union. This was supposed to be some obscure, oblique reference to slavery or something. Uh, and people were saying, well, they were only suspended. They weren't expelled. Right? And, and the question becomes, okay, well, what was supposed to, were we supposed to jail them? Like, did they, did they actually hurt somebody? Or did they just do something terribly offensive for which they should face private sanctions? Right? And there are, there are such a thing. I know the left only thinks that government is there, but it's the only thing that exists, government, in their view. There is such a thing as private sanction where everybody thinks you're a racist and they won't deal with you or hang out with you. But for the left, violence is now being justified by things they disagree with. Microaggression, in other words, is an excuse for them to hurt you. Right? White, white privilege is an excuse for them to shut you up. You can't talk because you're white. Microaggression is an excuse for people to come and harm you. That is the goal. The panty-waist fascists, they're just like every other sort of fascist. Right? Vladimir Putin needs to make an excuse so he can go into Crimea. He needs somebody to, to do something to him that never happened. Right? He needs an excuse to go into Crimea. Hitler needed an excuse. Oh, well, the, the ethnic Germans in Czechoslovakia, they're being put upon. And therefore, I will go in and I'm not being aggressive. Now I'm being defensive. Right? This is the same thing with regard to the Palestinians. The Palestinians make up crap, and then they say, oh, well, that justifies us firing rockets at civilians in Israel. Right? The fascists always work this way. There has to be some sort of aggressive act that they make up, and then they're acting defensively. And this is how it works. And so this is why you fake jumping in front of a car. Right? You fake that a car hit you because now anything you do is okay. By the way, that, that guy Jonathan Butler, who we watched yesterday and who's, who's you know, jumping in front of a car there, He's now in his, he says that the university is super duper racist. He's now in his seventh year at the university. His father earned last year $8.4 million. He's a real victim of white privilege, this Jonathan Butler, and so is his family. 
but the, the, it does have real ramifications. And I want to harken back to a situation in which I experienced this personally on national television. And for those who haven't seen it, this is somewhat enjoyable television, I've been told. It wasn't as enjoyable when you're in the middle of it, although I have to admit that it was, it was somewhat hilarious even being in the middle of it. Um, but it, th this happened on CNN, headline news. Uh, this must have been three months ago, maybe. And, uh, and I was on with a transgender woman, meaning a man who thinks he's a woman because he's delusional, named Zoe Turr. Right? We're having a conversation about transgenderism, and things go wildly wrong. And you'll see. You'll see leftist microaggression culture in action right here. This is how, when the fascists come, they're not going to come with jackboots. They're going to come with Uggs. Watch this tape, and then I'll explain why this is relevant. So you don't know what you're talking about. You're not educated on genetics. Was to discuss the genetics? Or well, no, what no. Are your genetics. So I, I, I'd stay away from the genetics and back to the brain scans. You cut that out now, or you'll go home in an ambulance. Yeah, that seems mildly inappropriate for a political discussion. And then that tape actually continued with everyone on the panel. Everyone, every single person on the panel. And there's there's another couple people who are who are down from me on the on my right here, and Dr. Drew's up there with a couple of his stooges on stage. There are like seven people on this panel. Every single one of them condemns me, right? Because I said, sir, and sir is a microaggression, right? I may not have meant to offend a dude dressed as a lady, but I did because he thinks he's a lady. So it's a microaggression. And so that justifies this large man, <laughs> you know, going, assault, this is battery, right? This is a clear case of legal battery. You don't get to touch people without their permission. That is the definition of battery. Right, so he, he does that, and, and this created pretty big hubbub at the time because obviously this is not something you see on TV every day. It's people threatening each other on national TV and putting their hands on each other in the middle of those arguments. Unless it's Jerry Springer, you don't see it. Right, so th this happens, and the part of it that was amazing to me was not that he reacted like this because leftists react in all sorts of crazy ways. What was amazing to me is everyone on the panel reacting not to the threat of violence or to the hand on the neck, but to me saying, sir. In other words, my microaggression justified his actual aggression. My microaggression justified his actual aggression, right? And this is, this is when the fascists come, this is how they come. This is how it works. They come with microaggression on the one hand and white privilege on the other. They shut you up, and then they say that everything that you say is offensive, and thus you can now be shut down. And they create their safe spaces. They bring back exactly the racism that they pretend they're fighting against. They say that they can, they can do whatever they please. They can get professors fired. They can get presidents of universities fired. They can shut down entire administrations, all based on these two mythical forces that they have created. And this will continue. This will continue until people stand up and they say, no, there's no such thing as a microaggression. There isn't. There's just aggression and not aggression. That's all. Words are not microaggressions. They can be insulting. They can be offensive. They are not microaggressions. Microaggression implies aggression. There's no aggression. Words are not aggressive. We learned this when we were five years old. And now the left's goal is to unlearn everything we learned when we were five. We learned that life's not fair and words are not hitting, right? These are two of the basic lessons you learn in kindergarten and the left is unlearning both, right? Life must be fair. And in order for life to be fair, words have to be treated as actions. And thus, and thus, we can punish you for the things that you say. This is scary stuff, folks. And the only way to stand up against it is not to be cowed. You can't be cowed. When people say you're, you have white privilege, you should tell them that they're absolutely full of crap, because they are. And when they say that they've been microaggressed, the answer is, no, you haven't been microaggressed. You may not like what I'm saying. But as I said in that same interview, facts don't care about your feelings. The feelings society doesn't end with feelings. 
It ends with guns and jackboots and people getting hurt. That's the entire excuse. All this is just an excuse for a power grab, the likes of which we haven't seen domestically in this country for its entire existence. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 